it's so much more resilient to be interdependent, so much more resilient to be community sufficient, local community sufficient. And it's it's really dangerous and lonely to be independent. Give it a go. Get your hands in the soil. No one can save the world on their own. So as well as friendship and just sharing, it's also feeling as though just by sharing i'm doing a tiny bit that one human being can do for the environment within the city it's a beautiful place to be growing food but with the shift in the demographics and and the size of properties the food value of that land has been lost welcome to nourishing matters to chew on a podcast that takes its cue from big picture healthy and sustainable food system agendas and digs in to explore their implications and how they are landing here in australia I'm Anthea Fawcett, founder of Foodswell, sustainability advocate and a farmer's daughter from New South Wales. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to this episode in which I speak with people who are involved with the wonderful Farm at Forward social enterprise in the Blue Mountains. With me are Emmanuel Prigioni, Manu, who is the founder and coordinator of Farm at Forward, Sylvia May, who is a garden host and participant, James Broughton, one of the full-time farmers, and Catherine Clare, who is the local land care coordinator with the Hawkesbury Nepean Land Care Network. Our conversation is from a webinar that was kindly hosted by North Sydney and Karingai Councils. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for the intro and thank you and North Sydney and Karingai Councils for the opportunity to get together um, for this webinar and to hear from our guests about Farm at Ford. It's um, such a pleasure to meet you all, Manu, Sylvia, James and Catherine. I'm joining you from the beautiful traditional land of the Birribirigal and Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And um, I'd also like to acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging and also traditional custodians across Australia and to thank them, you know, really sincerely for their love and care of country and for generously sharing their knowledge and culture with us. With such beautiful weather, it's a really great time to get outdoors and into the garden and to reconnect with friends and possibly to even meet new people in and around gardening for diverse and fun good reasons, a lot of which we'll be hearing about from our wonderful speakers. So before I ask Manu to share the Farm at Ford story and join all of our guests in a a sort of fairly free-flowing discussion, I thought I might help the scene with a little intro about urban agriculture generally and here in Sydney and why I was so excited when I first came across Farm at Ford. If you're a keen gardener or were at the last Green Events webinar with the amazing Tony Salter, the veggie lady, or perhaps you're involved with your local community garden, you're no doubt already more than aware of the huge groundswell of interest that there is in urban agriculture and in support for local and regional producers and farmers markets. And here's some interesting food for thought. According to Nick Rose um, from Sustain, around the world, there are some 800 million people growing food in cities and 20% of food consumed around the the globe is actually grown in cities. And looking forward, it won't be long before 70% of the world's population lives in cities. So with more extreme weather events, 
supply chain shocks. Look at the UK right now with uh, without truck drivers. Produce gluts, think strawberries and pineapples right here at home right now. And supply deficits, uh, apparently coffee prices are about to surge around the world due to climate-related production losses in Brazil. We kind of all know and feel that whether it's for reasons of self-provisioning, resilience, sustainability, food supply and security, or just for everyday pleasure, one way or another, urban agriculture just makes an enormous amount of sense. And there's some great models getting underway and Farm at Ford is, you know, a cracker. Urban agriculture takes many forms and can help build lots of community and health and wellbeing benefits, as well as growing great fresh food and contributing to urban greening and um, improved habitats in our cities for biodiversity. And, it, and of course, it's something that's long been done in different ways. And I imagine many of us are familiar with the idea of the victory or the thrift gardens of um, World War II and more recent variations on them. At the Urban Food Forum convened by Sustain earlier this year, Chris Blythe from UK's Social Farms and Gardens, that's a network of over 200 city and school farms and 1,000 community gardens in the UK, gave a keynote that was all about care farming and gardening, its growth, challenges and benefits. And he also raised the definitional question of what is urban agriculture? Uh, Chris is inclined to call urban agriculture urban food production that finds a market that's, that, that is sold and to call the many other great school and other food gardening and farming activities that deliver therapeutic training and mental health sorts of benefits, care farming and gardening. It's just interesting food for thought to think about the great diversity of benefits and reasons why people do food gardening. However you look at the definition or the focus of urban agriculture, COVID has seen a surge of food gardening for enjoyment and for other reasons, for food, physical activity and for stress relief fit for purpose and fit for people of all ages. Apparently there's been some 30% more people giving food gardening a go in Sydney and elsewhere over the past year or so. So it's, it's really surging. We know that COVID has driven significant increased demand upon food relief organisations such as Food Bank and Second Bite, as many individuals and families face really tough financial times. In Sydney, there's a growing number of crop swap groups and local gardening support groups like Grow It Local. And in Sydney, our peri-urban areas are really, really important fruit and veg uh, production areas, not only for Sydney, but also for all of New South Wales um, during the year. And Catherine, uh, who's with us tonight, will talk about the Farm at Ford model and what it offers to people in peri-urban areas such as the Hawkesbury-Napean area. Many councils have or are starting to plan to create urban agriculture policies and programs, and many of these build on community gardens and the great work that Community Gardens Australia have done over decades to support community groups and councils to establish and maintain community gardens. And this year, the City of Sydney has signed up to the Milan Urban Food Policy Pact to push along action for urban agriculture. It's a real driver. And in mid-2020, during Melbourne's first long lockdown, Sustain with Community Gardens Australia undertook the Pandemic Gardening Survey. And Sustain have provided a fantastic pandemic gardening survey report, and you can Google and download that from their site. But I just thought it'd be interesting to share some of their key findings. Just over half of the respondents were over the age of 55, um, and the cultural background of people uh, reflected wider, the wider Australian community. Respondents were overwhelmingly female, some 77%, and most respondents, over 70%, reported a lower household income than the national average, and about a quarter of respondents reported a household income 
below 50,000. And that's below the poverty line if you're a family of four. So growing food really makes a difference. More than a third were growing 10 to 30% of the food. And the remaining 14% said that they grew more than 30% of their own food. So we know that COVID has impacted upon the social and emotional well-being of many people, especially the young and, and, and older people who may live at home alone and and. and are really um, unable to connect with people. COVID has, for many people, intensified feelings of social isolation and disconnection. And local outdoor activities like food gardening and visits can be a really attractive therapeutic way to connect with people in your street or community and to foster intergenerational connections and support. During COVID, many food relief and other community organisations who rely upon volunteers have not only experienced increased demand for their services, but at the same time, they've also lost the volunteer services of many of many people, but particularly many semi and fully retired older people who have been unable to participate in volunteer activities or have just been really anxious to. And, and, and many of those people really miss the opportunity to give back and the social experience of volunteering. So I suppose I'm just flagging that there's all this latent social capital, people wanting to reconnect and, and, and enjoy interacting with their people and giving back. So to farm at Ford, I first heard about this fantastic program about 18 months ago from Peter Dore, who is the youth community greening leader with the Royal Botanic Gardens in Sydney. We, we, we caught up and it was during the bushfires and we were talking about how to support local communities from where we both sat and worked and, and how could we contribute to social and emotional recovery and local resilience efforts. And he said, oh, you've got to, you've got to know about Farm at Ford. <laughs> so what especially drew me to learn more about them was particularly the idea of connecting homeowners or renters, that is people with backyards, private urban space, with people who might not have space but who would like to grow food and to help people of different generations to connect and grow new friendships as well as enjoying growing food together. And tonight we have the chance to hear a whole lot more about Farm at Ford. Manu, you're the founder and the coordinator of Farm at Ford. Can you tell us the story about, about what it is, how it works, and I don't know, something about how you came up with the idea for it and then put it into action with your partners and your community? Hi everyone. The whole thing really began with my own personal journey into food growing. I personally got into growing my own food after having a very serious episode of postnatal depression. It was a really something that I found a lot of therapy in and also a sense of purpose and a sense of um, being able to have some hope and being able to do something that would benefit my children and all of those kinds of things. So that's where it really began, the crux of it. I started working for uh, the local food co-op and very, very luckily I when I started learning about permaculture, I was able to um, work on Springwood Community Garden, which was a bushfire recovery project mm -hmm. during after the 2013 bushfires. And there again, it was really about growing food, healing through growing food. Uh, a lot uh, a lot of people had lost their gardens, lost their 30-year-old, 40-year-old fruit trees. And there was a sense of grief around that. And there, there again, there was a very big element of intergenerational contact as well, because in Springwood Community Garden, there is a, a very, there was, uh, there were groups of young people and groups of older people. And it was all about how to design something that would bring them together. So that was kind of at the infancy of, of, uh, of the Farm It Forward concept. And then after that, I worked for the local food co-op and was the garden coordinator there. 
the local food co-op had this really clever backyard grower system where people could come in, bring their glut of produce in and swap it for store credit within the, the, the store, which was really great. And my job at the co-op was to go and visit people's gardens so that they could register with us just to make sure that they were growing organically and not using any pesticides and things like this. Oh. So I got to visit a lot of food gardens in the Blue Mountains. I must have visited over 100 food gardens in the Blue Mountains. What I realised was there were a lot of people, older people, or young families with children who were quite socially isolated. So when I would rock up to have a look at their garden, I would stay there for two hours and have a wonderful chat with them. <laughs> and there were also a lot of younger people walking through the doors at the food court going, yes, I want to eat ethical foods. I want to grow ethical food, but no way I could afford land. No way I could ever find a place of my own. Um, and where where am I supposed to be growing my food if I don't have access to, to land? So those were the two things. People who were a little bit older and maybe didn't have the mobility to be able to make their uh, areas as productive as they would have liked. Um, and also younger families with small children who, oh my goodness, are so busy that they're unable, again, to make their areas and their land as productive as they would like. And then on the other hand, there were these young people walking through the doors going, I really, really, you know, I'm really, really passionate about growing food regeneratively. I want to learn how to do it. But where am I going to do it? I, it's too expensive to own land. All I can do is rent and, you know, and, and all of that. So it was really just a matter of putting our heads together with a couple of those younger people, Jack and Olive and Nick. And the four of us kind of just put our heads together and went, okay, how are we going to do this? And that's how we started to design Farm It Forward. It took us three or four months before, or actually more, five or six months to, to come up with something we were happy with and come up with a holistic context. Before we actually started our first plot, it took some time to, to, to of thought and also it took some time to put everything in place so that we could apply for funding to get going. So that also was an element. So that was three years ago now. <laughs> and yeah, that's how Farm It Forward started. And, and it's a social enterprise, isn't it? So tell us how it works. Yeah, it is. That means that we're a not-for-profit organisation and we employ young people to grow food, land that's kind of leased from uh, those people that I was talking about before. So people who are more time poor or have less mobility than they would like, or would just simply like their land to be used for productive purposes and would like to see young people locally employed to learn how to do that. So yes, that's that's how Farm It Forward works. We 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 don't lease the land as for money, we lease the land for vegetables. So <laughs> the residents receive vegetables in return for the use of their land. And we also, of course, cover if we need to use town water, et cetera, et cetera, we cover costs of town water, et cetera. And all of our infrastructure is all done by us. It's all removable, unless the resident is very happy for us to put more permanent things in. Mm -hmm. And so sort of just, you know, roughly how many people are involved? Tell us about the footprint of who's involved. So there's four of us farming, growing food on the land, but that's paid farmers. And then on top of that, we have probably a pool of about 10 to 20 really, really regular keen bean volunteers who come very regularly. Then we have eight households that are the residents that own the land that we grow food on. And then we sell to 
different cafes and restaurants. I think three or four, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy. <laughs> and then we also sell to the local co-op as well. And we're about to start actually selling direct through a market stall to our community. Oh, that's, that's exciting. I think that's that's the subject of your spring fundraiser, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, I'll be drilling about you, you about that a little bit later on. On your website, it says, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it says you've, over the years, you've produced something like 10,000, is it 10,000 tonnes of food? Is that right? 10 tonnes. So 10 10 tonnes, yes. Yeah, over 10 tonnes, more than 10 tonnes. It's lost count at 10 count, 10 tonnes. It's a serious (laughs) amount of food. (laughs) And um, can you tell tell, tell us about just, you know, the size or the feel of the gardens? Like you mentioned, you've got eight households and I think you, you know, uh, people who share their land or get veggies in return. What's the footprint of the actual market gardens all all up? Um, Okay, so all together we have about an acre and a half of land under food production. So that is the size of an average medium-sized market garden which is great. The um, Sylvia's plot, for instance, is uh, used to be a tennis court in the 1900s. <laughs> so back in the time where um, they used to use termite uh, mounds, use the sand as um, the, the floor for the for a tennis court. So that must have been quite challenging to, to turn that into a productive garden bed. <laughs> yeah, we started with, um, we, we did have to build the soil from scratch, yeah. Four of you are, pay, are paid farmers and you, uh, if, you, if people visit your website they can see the amazing partners that you've had along the way who provides the funding for you to be paid has that has that come by um, youth and juvenile justice or age caring or age care services or grants or can you picture of how you've pulled that all together because obviously you do a lot that adds value to your local council yeah so we've had a varying revenues so to begin with the first year we had a youth opportunities we got a youth opportunities grant with mm-hmm. the New South Wales government and allowed us to pay our young people the first year which was really really helpful as we were start you know just starting out etc cetera, etc cetera, because market gardens don't start right away and also we were learning as we went <laughs> so um the revenue for our, from our our vegetables is quite good and it pays 30 to 40 percent of our overall wages and then we also apply for public funding wherever we can but we we actually very recently crunched some serious numbers and realized that we could completely in order to be more self you know resilient we were able to cover all of our wages just by selling direct to the community sell, sell our vegetables direct to the community that's fantastic that's that's a real enterprise with a big part of what you do is training and permaculture workshops and and youth uh, engagement and activities in and around the garden, isn't it? Is that is that right? I think when we chatted just quickly by phone the other day, you mentioned hoping to do more with high schools and with mental health for students and, and that you regularly have gardening workshops. Is that right? That's right. So before this came through, um, we had uh, two different high school groups um, coming every week to do some market gardening with us. That said, it was really that we leave it really open. We don't really, how do you say, enforce anything with high school kids we we're just happy that they're out that they're there and we have a therapy dog and being just being out and just in contact with soil is makes us happy so it, even yeah. if they're 
sitting and hanging out while we do some planting or market gardening, that's enough for us, really. We have seen that it's had a huge, huge benefit in those different classes that we're coming to to visit. Uh, one of them was Blue Mountains Youth College, which is affiliated with Blacktown Youth College. These are kids from extremely disadvantaged backgrounds. And it, it is very challenging and it is the, the benefits that you can just see are it's just really wonderful. So we do, yes, we do a lot of youth outreach. So far, we've been doing it for free, but um, pretty soon we will have to charge for our program, youth outreach programs just so that we can train and up to date with, you know, child protection and youth mental health, et cetera, et cetera, because those are all really necessary um, skills when you're doing youth yeah, health. And you can put and you can allocate time and maybe even employ more people. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a question I, I think I just saw come up, which I've got sort of further down in the question, so it might be nice to talk about it now. There's quite a few offsprings or shoots of a farm at Ford, aren't there? Are there, I, I think on your website or when we've chatted, you've said that you've had links with groups in Hobart and Melbourne and Brisbane who've started similar projects to farm at Ford is that right absolutely we've we really regularly um, hold conversations and little zoom discussions mm-hmm. with people who would like to get farm it forward going in their local area mm-hmm. so we've had people from everywhere Queensland Western Australia South Australia Melbourne Victoria mm-hmm. you know just all over the place and it's been really heartwarming to see. I think it's a case of, yep, you can do it. <laughs> it's a, oh, fantastic. Seeing it um, happening, I think, is a real catalyst for others to give it a go as well. Just to show you a pic of the team that farm at the moment that are, are growing the food. Um, they're holding salad mix bags. Uh, so we, we have been really successful in growing salad mix and it's it's really popular with cafes and local cafes and restaurants and it's also really popular with individuals so uh, we started selling our bags of salad mix and it's beautiful it's organic regeneratively grown and it's locally grown Um, the amount of bags of salad mix that people go through in one week um, if you think about it you could totally grow that locally with absolutely very little um, effort the beautiful thing is that they're completely compostable cellophane bags with a compostable sticker on them and that means that on top of it you are just annihilating the the huge amount of plastic that goes with with buying punnets of of salad mix etc etc um, this is one of our volunteer sessions so on top of doing youth outreach and those are really geared geared sessions with with high school kids. We also have a general volunteer session every week, once a week on a different plot of ours. And those volunteer sessions are really diverse. This this image really shows you really well that it's all different ages that come along to our volunteer sessions and you pick up so much knowledge just, you know, by doing and and being a part of it boy in the foreground in fact Jude is a really you know he's a really lovely 14 year old boy who's so um he just you know loves farm it forward so much and he's just started selling his rocket outside his mum's health food store as well so it's pretty sweet and he was really happy that day because he was injured and could not go to school and come to the volunteer session (laughs) fantastic this is one of our volunteers very long time again really long time volunteers so we find that our volunteers have been coming for years now I think it's because there's a real social benefit and there's a real sense of purpose 
to having a regular thing to do that is extremely wholesome for the community. And um, this is Sophie, and she, she's she been coming to help us harvest and coming to volunteer sessions for for years now. This is one of our uh, youth outreach sessions. So I was saying before, we we have geared youth outreach sessions, kids from different special community schools, um, kids that have special needs and come from disadvantaged backgrounds. We just see it's, it's hugely beneficial just for kids to come and hang out with us. This is outside Headspace. Katoomba Headspace is a, is a youth mental health organization that provides free mental health services for young people. People in the mountains. They gave us a call and said, look, do you want to set up a Farm It Forward plot in our garden? Because, because, and we said, yes. <laughs> um, so we went and set up a plot and um, the kids came to help us every Thursday morning to plant out, etc., etc. So this is a beautiful photo of one of our uh, farmers and also one of our co-founders Jack and Sylvia uh, and this was during the bushfires so uh, the black summer bushfires and um, you can see Jack's wearing a p2 mask and you can see by the the red sort of um, tinge of the photo we were right in the midst of it it was incredibly heartwarming because volunteers still came every single time no one no one it, never missed a beat and we grew so much food that summer it was incredible that's amazing um, and it was in the middle of the drought and uh, we managed and we we used ingenious methods of of, of uh, being really efficient with our water and and we did it oh that's fantastic so so now that we've seen uh, Sylvia in her garden or, or near it um Sylvia and James um tell us about how you're involved with the farm at Ford and and, you know, what you especially like about it or, you know, what you particularly do as part of it all. Sylvia, would you like to go first? Uh, Manu's already mentioned that your a lovely old tennis court from the 1900s is, is a key, key big garden at your place. That sounds fantastic. It was lovely to hand that over to, to Manu and all the other farmers. And I had been trying to clear the scrub from it as a hobby. <laughs> My yeah. way of gardening was just trying to chop down scrub rather than do productive things. My main assistants before Manu and team were wallabies. If I could chop down the scrub, then the wallabies might come in and look after the undergrowth for me. Biodiversity in action. <laughs> and my other uh, thing that I'm very much aware of is I retired about 10 years ago and made the big decision not to downsize. Most people, I'm 77 now, and most people my age... 10 years ago, mm -hmm. we're advising each other to downsize. And I thought, well, I have lived on this beautiful property. It's actually a five-acre bush block. I've lived on it all my working life and not had time to relax and enjoy it. Why should I have to give it up now that I'm retiring? <laughs> yeah. and most people said to me, you're mad. You can't stay on a big block. Other people don't even stay in a suburban-sized block when they retire and I knew I'd need help and I didn't know what sort of help it was going to be I have got children and um it's not that I don't have help but I didn't want to be dependent on my children I knew I needed help and I didn't know what it would be but I knew I wanted to enjoy my beautiful property in old age and it just evolved, didn't it, Manu? It, so to me, the help, it's the help of sharing. We're helping each other. But it's also, I've always had a passion for 
the environment that, that comes through from my parents and grandparents, they were all botanists and geologists and, and scientists and very mm. conscious of the needs of the environment. So that's been born into me. But I, I knew I can't do everything myself. No one can save the world on their own. So as well as, as, well as the friendship and just sharing, it's also feeling as though just by sharing, I'm doing a tiny bit that one human being can do for the environment. Sylvia, how did you meet Manu? I met her at the co-op. Um, right. I, I <laughs> at the co-op and um, Manu was the gardener in charge, the co-op has a little garden out the back, which opens, well, to my knowledge, once a year when the Mid-Mountains Garden Festival opened, I could go through the gate and into that little garden. <laughs> so I managed to speak to Manu over the garden fence, I suppose, and just said, if ever you need a bit more land, give me a <laughs> ring. <laughs> this was, I have to say, this was maybe, um, I remember Sylvia telling me this, and this must have been in 2015. And I remembered and I said, Sylvia, I can't right now, but I promise I'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't mind waiting because I'm a fairly easygoing person and hoping on my own on the, pro well, I'm not on the, my own on the property. One of my kid, adult kids lives here with me. I knew I needed more help, but I wasn't in a hurry. I was quite happy just to have the wallabies helping while I waited, <laughs> not knowing what was going to emerge. And, and Sylvia, has the garden changed the way you eat? Or not really? Were you always a, a keen fruit and veg eater? Or, or have you just found you've got more diversity and access to more diverse foods? The change is being able to go for a walk in the morning. I'm a morning person and pluck some vegetables for the evening meal. I'm already thinking about the evening meal in the morning. And before Farm It Forward, I had to do that process by going to the shop. Mm. Now I do it by going for a walk in the garden without mm. having, I always say, without having had to do the work myself. That's <laughs> lazy of me, but I do say to myself, well, I am retired. I did do my working years. No doubt. <laughs> I love being able to go and source for my dinner. Thanks so much, Sylvia. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous story. And I'd, I'd love to visit your garden. <laughs> James, tell us about you and your role with Farm at Forward and how long you've been with them. Yeah, so I started off volunteering with Farm at Forward. I was good friends with Jack, who, as Manu said, was a co-founder and helped to set up. Um, yeah, I just started coming along to hang out with my mate originally. Um, and then, yeah, I just found it was really, I'd just moved to the mountains. So I was quite new to the area and I just felt really immediately plugged into a, to a community straight away. And everything around it was really positive and like just felt really wholesome and just had a really good feel to it, everything that was going on. And yeah, being someone who's quite sustainably minded, like when I started learning more about how it worked and everything, I became more intrigued and yeah. yeah, just eventually after coming to pretty much every volunteer session from, from when <laughs> I found out about it, eventually um, Nick, one of the, one of the other co-founders, he, he left to go study elsewhere and I was offered his position. So um, yeah, that's kind of how I got involved. And now I'm just, we're just doing our thing. We're farming. Um, <laughs> I'm look after one of the plots here and 
just learning more and more about gardening and yeah. getting that experience. It's one of those, it's kind of a slow learning thing. Like I've been doing this for almost two years now and I'm really just, you know, at the start of my journey, you know. It's, so, um, so did you have any gardening skills when you started? I mean, or had you had prior experience or have you pretty much been, you know, learning and growing with the project as you've worked with it in terms of your gardening skills, food gardening skills? Look, I had, when I was, I think I must have been around year six or something, quite young, my, my grandfather helped me set up a, a veggie plot and I, I grew for one season and um, I loved that then. I used to get really early and, and water my veggies before school. And then uh, my family kind of moved house and, and that fell to the wayside, but it was it was many years. I guess my grandfather kind of planted the seed there, but yeah. in terms of practical experience, I had very little, definitely found a passion. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And um, Sylvia and James, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's just fabulous. And as you obviously just love what you're doing and the, you know, the people you've met and so on. It's almost an unfair question, but if I asked you if there was just one key highlight or a thing that you most love about the program, what, what would it be? What, what would you describe as the thing you most love about Farm at Ford? Um, it's a difficult one. Um, I, I reckon I'd have to say just how, how much it can have a positive impact having seen that like over and over like just the its ability to have a positive impact on people's on their well-being like and you see it especially with the volunteer sessions and with the kids like it's really powerful to see that happen over and over and to experience that firsthand Mm -hmm. sylvia you've you've already described some beautiful things is there a highlight for you yes the um interactions between the generations is something I really appreciate, not not at my age having to be stuck with only, I mean, I love my friends who are my age, but it, it's lovely to have friends of different ages. So yeah, I'm thinking that and nature at the same time. And also art. It's somehow, even though we haven't talked about art at all, mm. um, somehow art and culture is drawn into the mix somehow. I don't think I can explain it word how but it just feels as though it is oh that's lovely everybody i don't know if you know that farmer ford have got a gorgeous spring fundraiser on at the moment and uh money might tell us a little bit more about that later but talking about art some of the lovely treats and giveaways and things you can purchase uh include some really exquisite drawings and artwork and i imagine manu you and others have been responsible for those is that right yeah, yeah made um we just came up with uh, making seeded cards we just thought how are we gonna have people connect with each other during because there was bank smack in the middle of the lockdown so we were like wow how can we just get people to connect with each other and grow food so we we came up with this idea of of put, embedding of, of having seeded paper and making cards that people could send to each other saying thinking of you put this card in some soil and it'll grow you lettuce so yes you can get those from our crowdfunding campaign jump on our crowdfunding campaign everyone for our social media pages on facebook and instagram and if you go into onto donate in our website you'll find it as well yeah there's a beautiful card called let us let us all be kind to everyone it's just yeah that's right (laughs) okay so so we've spoken about the other beautiful offshoots from um farm at ford i know that there's grow growing farmers in melbourne that's had a lot of media i think that might be one of them and you know that's all linked up with the amazing katie Payne, i think and um uh sustainable table and 
those amazing Victorian powerhouses in urban agriculture and all the rest. So we've touched on that already a bit. Catherine, (laughs) you're currently drawing on the farm at Ford model to possibly set up a chapter or something similar in the Hawkesbury-Brinopean region. Would you like to tell us all about that and how it fits with your work with with land care and working with local peri-urban landholders and farmers in your area because there's a long tradition of agriculture there and cultural diversity and all the rest and some incredible opportunities I imagine can you take us through the story of what you're doing thanks Anthea yeah so I know I got mentioned at the start so I'm I'm the local land care coordinator for the Hawkesbury Nepean Land Care Network so we cover Penrith Hawkesbury Hills and Blacktown um, and there's a very big mix of property owners throughout and within those government areas and regions. And the concept of Farm It Forward was something that got raised with me at the start of the job two years ago because, as you said, Hawkesbury has an incredible history of being the food belt of of Sydney ever, you know, beyond before colonisation, obviously, with our traditional owners as well now. From And there's been a big shift from, uh, you know, wheat to barley to orchards and dairy and there's a huge range in Hawkesbury. You've got the lowlands and the floodplains and you've got the upper cooler climates. And between those regions, there's a big diversity of what gets grown. However, there has been a massive shift in the property ownership and that scale of, of ownership. And um, I didn't know the actual numbers before you really asked me to get them, Anthea. But <laughs> looking at the um, rural strategy that, that Hawkesbury had put up, 62% of the rural land is now in blocks of less than three hectares and 81% less than eight hectares, which if you compare that to the normal scale of what farms would be is is quite different. And the issue was raised that, you know, this is an area of highly fertile soil, beautiful climate. Um, It's within the city. It's a beautiful place to be growing food. But with the shift in the demographics and, and the size of properties, the food value of that land has been lost. And how do you reconnect to the land? How do we reconnect with growing food, even on a smaller scale, not as commercial farming, but as market gardening and as growing things locally in our own backyards, which, you know, perfectly fits with what Manu's been doing um, with Farm at Fort and Blue Mountains. Uh, We've had a few challenges in, in the sense that the scale is a little bit different Hawkesbury is quite large, so it's Blue Mountains, but I think we started on too big of a scale mm-hmm. um, and being able to potentially promote the opportunity to have young growers there. Um, like Manu said, she started with funding and that's been quite difficult to source without a strong group of community members committed to this, but it hasn't dropped off at all. And there is a huge passion for food and growing food in the Hawkesbury. There's multiple veggie barter pages, which are, you know, incredibly active. There's loads of community gardens, all which include growing food uh, and loads of market gardens, um, loads of opportunities for people to visit farms and actually pick fruit themselves or visit farmers market. We've got Hawkesbury, it's now market gardens and trails, but in the Hawkesbury people can actually register as farmers and you can look up the farms that you can visit or buy produce from um, directly. And there's quite, yeah, there's a lot of tourism around food. There's a lot of community engagement around food. And the value, like Manny said and Jimmy said as well, that mental health aspect, the community connection aspect is a really big thing. And we're trying we're trying to develop a, a way of doing that similar to what Manu has, does, has done that, that, that fits the Hawkesbury. But, yeah, it, it's a very exciting space. Fruit trees, I think, in our region has been a big focus. 
hill, the hills, especially in Hawkesbury, you know, you've got orchards from citrus all the way up to stone fruits uh, and everything in between. Um, and a lot of properties that have been subdivided do keep those, those remnant trees, but the knowledge is lost on how to care for those trees properly. So we're, we're considering running a program about that uh, to help connect people to their food and what's in their garden already a little bit more. Oh, that's amazing. That's almost like retrofitting people's gardens and retrofitting skills for new yeah. landowners and subdivisions. That's really, really, and gosh, in the wake of the bushfires, I mean, the, the region you're talking about really copped it, didn't it? Um, it is. Yeah, and a lot of the communities turned to actually starting veggie gardens and community gardens as a way to support their community. Like Manny said, it, it's... um. You develop a sense of community, but also a sense of hope and a sense of, you know, I want to say control, but the ability to be able to actively do something when you're waiting for other things to heal themselves, you can start to heal and do something hands-on. I don't know about you, but I certainly feel a bit like that with COVID, the ability just to have control over something which delivers an outcome and nurtures you in one way or another is, is yeah. really, really important, isn't it? Manu and James, will you be helping Catherine or working with Catherine? Or no doubt you've already been chatting and sharing ideas. Um, would you like to comment on that? Will you be working more in the Hawkesbury Nepean region? Yeah, we're always around um, for some guidance and, and Catherine is an absolute wonderful wonderful friends so it's so lovely to see and uh, this friendship came out of <laughs> of Catherine getting in touch and going whoa I want to get far forward guys so and and we'll do everything that we can to um to help get it happening and it's pretty exciting because you're in the peri-urban region like you know you are within reach of each other and but with really different um uh, social capital and 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 assets in terms of um people's backyards whether it's a backyard yeah. like like Sylvia's or in uh, in the Horse Spring in these sort of five acre subdivisions which still have really productive land and in many cases incredible fruit and other trees that could be looked after and brought back into production it's really exciting yeah yeah, a big point of difference, unfortunately, between the Hawkesbury and the Blue Mountains is the council perspective. Oh. So um, here in the Blue Mountains, we're very lucky. We have a very a council that is very understanding of protecting the environment and growing regeneratively and, and all of those things. Uh, other councils are less, they have less ambitions, <laughs> ambitions around doing something um, in that respect. So there is a big point of difference there in terms of funding. Uh, we, you know, we we got some funding from our local council to actually keep going with this program, and it's it's been wonderful. And yeah, so councils, it's really important to vote people in that um, that will really uh, safeguard and and support these kinds of programs happening. And you can have urban agriculture policies, as we talked about with the Milan Pact. And I think the Blue Mountains. I remember reading some amazing article that they that they actually have a council policy which puts first the rights of nature, like they've signed up yeah. to the rights yeah. of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So Farm at Ford, great model. You can adapt it for different contexts <laughs> and for a whole lot of different reasons and benefits. So uh, just to put your thinking caps on and maybe connect with people in your street even or with people in your school or, or with other groups that might be in your region. I'm thinking of Karingai Council and that sort of area. You know, there, there are other voluntary sort of garden-related organisations like the Easy Care Garden Organisation, which is which is an already a, an active volunteer group, which is where people volunteer to 
help older people stay in their homes and look after their gardens to keep them safe and, and you know, without hazard. But obviously just another tweak <laughs> or, or there's a network to look hook up with. And um, North Sydney, many people living in apartments and, and, and very quite dense, but lots of wonderful community gardens and on the street programs and so on. And perhaps you could hook up with big backyard owners in Karinga. <laughs> okay. Perhaps just towards a bit of a wrap-up, Manu, can you tell us about any big plans or changes on the horizon to grow Farm at Ford and, and perhaps tell us a little bit more about what you're fundraising for with the spring fundraiser? We're in our, our second full year of, of uh, growing food and we realised, you know, I mean, we had to go through all of the different things that um, that we went through, the bushfires, the, the drought, the bushfires, COVID-1, COVID-2, in order to see, you know, where the precarious parts of our model were. We managed to to figure out that selling vegetables for resale is problematic, that local regenerative, small local regenerative farmers need to sell direct. Their The money, the revenue from selling their vegetables needs to go solely to them and nobody else in order for them to really make a decent living uh, revenue to keep going and to make the operation sustainable. This is essential, really, really important aspect. If anyone, and I'm sure many people would be asking themselves, okay, how do we make this something that can keep going? Yes, money is is, is, is a very tricky thing, but it is also very um, important to make something viable and sustainable in the long run. Um, and that is one of the key elements. And that's why we are really transitioning to selling direct to our community via weekly market store. And that's what we're raising money for because we would like to set up a mobile market store on a trailer so that we can go and sell our veggies throughout the Blue Mountains. Yes, the Blue Mountains is quite tricky. You kind of need a vehicle to get around and to get to everybody that needs you. A market stall on a trailer is the perfect solution. We've just recently partnered up with our local neighborhood center, which runs three different neighborhood centers, one in the lower mountains, one in the mid mountains and one in the upper mountains, which means that they allow they will allow us to park our trailer <laughs> in their car parks and sell food to all of our Blue Mountains community directly. Oh, that's fantastic. And Catherine, there was a lovely story, a little bit similar, but um, I was speaking to friends who have um, family working in Mulcania and obviously with COVID, hectic times there, and the food store had to shut because for a period of time because of uh, infections. And I think the Hawkesbury, the Hawkesbury Helping Hands filled up their cars and vehicles and drove from Hawkesbury <laughs> to Volcania with a whole lot of food. It's a slightly, it's a segue, but it's kind of a nice um, example of that sense of community. Catherine, thanks so much for, for sharing your, your story and I really look forward to watching it grow and getting coming out and visiting you. <laughs> sure. Anyone is always welcome to visit. Yeah. <laughs> We'd always love to have, you know, even faces even if you can't always come regularly, I think that start of having a community and not just that, the knowledge as well, of people who know how to, and this is where a big part of where Manu and James came in is they have the knowledge that our volunteers kind of were seeking and how do we, you know, transfer that knowledge on and, and keep learning in different ways, which is always yeah. really exciting. Manu, Sylvia, James and Catherine, thank you so much. Um, any sort of any final comments or wrap-up thoughts you'd like to share, you know, just listening to each other, Chad, is there anything else, anything, yeah, is there anything else 
each of you yeah. might have to. I would, I would just say, and this, this comes from um, someone who's never grown food personally, but I've seen a, a lot of people give it a go, a lot of we might call urbanites who have moved out to Hawkesbury and, can, and completely transformed properties into farms, is that like anyone farming, anyone can grow food. You just have to want to do it. Um, if you're willing to learn and be part of the community, you know, anyone, anyone can learn it. We all know how to do it. It's part of, it's part of our genetics. We had to in the past. So um, give it, give it a go if you've never thought about it is what I would say. And find, find a way, find a local group. Um, there's so much advice on how to do it, whether it's on a balcony or it's in your own backyard or joining a local community garden. Um, if you want to do it, you can. And, and I reckon anyone should give it a go. Sounds good to me. James? Um, yeah, I would, I would second what Catherine said. I would really encourage everyone to give it a go. Get your hands in the soil. Whatever your context is, there's always there's always an option and there's always someone going to be someone in your community who is a grower and is passionate about it so seek them out and yeah and yeah have a crack <laughs> that does sylvia uh the word share is what comes to my mind give that a go don't be afraid to share um whether it's sharing your garden or whether it's sharing your labor or whether it's sharing your produce or whether it's sharing your thoughts and friendship, give it a go. It's not it's not what we're sort of expected to do by the mass media these days. I'd say give sharing a go. Don't be scared to share. Something like trust and hope. Mm. Yes, <laughs> hope, yes. <laughs> and trust, yes. I think that's really, really something. It's so much more resilient to be interdependent, so much more resilient to be community sufficient, local community sufficient. And it's really dangerous and lonely to be independent. And uh, it's individualistic and we need, we need less of that and more community resilience. That's really important. Just to thank Sylvia and Manu and Catherine and James and you, Jordan, very, very much for, you know, the chance for us all to get together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to watch the webinar in full and catch the Q&A, the YouTube from the webinar is on the Nourishing Matters to Chew On Facebook page. Thanks for listening. I hope this conversation offered some nourishing food for thought. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stay in touch via instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on facebook at nourishing matters to chew on if you like what you hear and would like to support us you can buy us a coffee or donate at givenow.com.au backslash nourishing or give us a rating and a review in your favorite podcast app so other people can find us too Nourishing Matters to Chew On is proud to be on the Climactic Network of Podcasts and part of a collective of podcasters dedicated to inspiring positive action around climate change. Check out the other great podcasts on the Climactic Network at www.climactic.fm.